you know, let's just, let's just call her Alice. You know, one day she's, she gets up in the morning, she's going to work. Uh, she, she wants to get a coffee, stops at the coffee shop, orders, taps her phone on the, on the little, um, you know, the little card reader things and, uh, my fed wallet, you know, just bam, error, you know, that, that could not, could not process. Um, and that's just when she finds out, you know, tries it again, tries it at the gas station, finds that her, uh, you know, utility bills aren't being paid. She's just been cut off and she doesn't get to use the CBDC anymore. And at least in this scenario, which I think is very likely, uh, cash is no longer accepted or issued or legal tender. You know, we're in a cashless society because otherwise, how are you going to enforce the social policy goals of the CBDC? You know, if there's just this alternative, people will use it. Monero Talk is sponsored by KCWallet a trustless open source wallet that gives you the keys to your crypto. Invoice, donate, and trade your Monero with peace of mind, peace of cake. And by StealthyX, an instant exchange where privacy is a top concern. Go to StealthyX.io to instantly exchange between Monero and 450 plus assets without having to create an account or register and with no limits. Making StealthyX a simple way to purchase Monero with crypto anonymously. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever by typing in monerotalk.crypto in your monero.com or cake wallet send address field to send us a tip. This week on Monero Talk. Douglas Tuman interviews Zelenar XY, a writer, crypto veteran, developer, and author of the recently released book, the right to transact. The two discuss Zelenar's journey into crypto, how he came about to writing his book, why the right to transact is as important, if not more important, than other rights in the Constitution, will people wake up when CBDCs arrive, and how bad does it have to get for people to understand that the right to transact is important. They also talk about different governments around the world trying to implement CBDCs and which regions have a higher risk of implementing it. They then discuss Monero versus Bitcoin in terms of censorship resistance and why the tech behind Monero is better at resisting state censorship and surveillance. Monero Talk starts now. All right, ZXY, what's going on, man? Doing great, Doug. How are you? Good, good. Uh, I just, just finished your book. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I just discovered you, actually. I think it was a, an art. I, get, I guess you had recently published an article about the book, I think is how I how I came across you. Yeah, the uh, Coindesk one. Yeah. And so I was like, uh, this, this guy's interesting. So I, I uh, ravaged your book. I, listened, I, read, I read a bunch of it. I couldn't sleep last night. And then today I was listening to it. Uh, on two X, says trying to get. I, not that I suggest other people do that. Uh, I think I'm capable of doing that only because I, I know a lot of the a lot of the information. Um, but I thought you did a great job. I think uh, I think you did a great job. So I guess uh, first things first. Who is Z- ZXY? What can you tell us about yourself? Why why are you, um, 
I guess, capable of writing such a book, the free, the right to transact? Well, first of all, um, I appreciate that. Uh, what can I tell you? Very little, unfortunately. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'm sort of, um, I'm an old hand in uh, crypto. I probably got into Bitcoin around 2015, I would say. Uh, by all rights, I should be rich and retired now, or at least, uh, you know, more of an expert, but what can you do? Um, so I've been, you know, I've been around, uh, been having a good time. Um, I worked as a, as a writer for a while. Um, I, uh, got trolled enough told to learn to code to where I, uh, did, and, you know, I mean, when you're right, you're right. So, uh, so yeah, now I, uh, work as a developer, um, and I just sort of, uh, hang around in, in crypto, uh, big into Bitcoin and Ethereum. And, uh, when y'all hit me up a couple of weeks ago, um, I benched a bunch of your shows and decided I had been wasting my life, not, uh, getting into Monero. So now I've got my, got my nodes sinking in a, in a oh, mining or something. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally sold. Y'all do a great job. So, uh, Awesome. Um, that so. is that is good to hear because when when I'm re reading your book, I'm like this this guy this guy is a Monero, he's a Monero guy at heart. Um, he just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> he that's just awesome. doesn't know it yet. Um, that that that's that's cool. That's great to hear. Oh, and you, you so you taught yourself how to code after you discovered crypto? Uh, yeah. Essentially, I I was writing about about crypto. I was uh, you know doing a lot of doing a lot of interviews with developers and stuff, people building things. And I just, um, I got jealous, you know, they, they, their lives seemed cooler than me. They seemed cooler than me. Uh, they, they were wizards and I, you know, talked about how they were wizards and I, you know, I just figured, I mean, hell, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not as smart as a lot of these guys, but, uh, but I, I think I can, you know, yeah, good, good on you, man. No, I, I, I never, I never dared go down, go down that path. Uh, I, you know, in theory, if I would love to, love to have those skills. Uh, so I guess it's, it's given you a deeper understanding, I assume, of crypto, right? Because now you, you understand it on a, on a more technical level. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, God, I hope so. <laughs> what kind of things have you coded up? Have you been developing? Uh, so day to day, I, um, I'm a front end dev, so I just, I, I just do like web UIs and stuff. Um, but I've, I've messed around with, uh, you know, smart contracts and stuff. And I, I try to, I try to at least play around with, um, everything I use, you know, run notes locally and stuff. And, uh, you know, I read some code. I can't, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not contributing to Bitcoin core or anything, but, uh, it's. Yeah, I just um my my day-to-day -day job is uh is as a front end dev. So, so I'm not that much of a wizard, but Sorry. And so, so we're we're really smart and great actually. So. <laughs> and so the book is titled The Right to Transact and we'll we'll get into it in great detail. But is is this a concept the right to transact something that you you had going into crypto? Is this something you were already aware of? innately or is this something that uh is this knowledge that you gained as you became aware of crypto and became to understand what the value proposition of crypto is 
Yeah. Well, when I first came into crypto, I don't I don't think I really got it at all. Uh, I thought everybody was at least a little insane. Um, I, I was I was simply not uh, ready. Had not been exposed to a lot of these ideas before, but I was just I was just intrigued. You know, so at some level, I was hooked and just couldn't uh, just kept you know kept at it. Um, kept sort of you know reading and studying and you know participating in conversations. Um, you know, uh, I don't know, posting on crypto Twitter, that that kind of thing, just getting more and more dragged into the culture until now I'm very, I'm just, you know, one of us. Uh, but I would say, yeah, the right to transact, that, that concept, that phrase just like distilled to that level. I mean, that's, that's sort of what we're doing here, right? Like that's sort of the whole game with crypto. Um, 100%. But I'd never really used or heard the term uh, until, well, I came up with an independently. I sort of, they coalesced in my mind. And then about four seconds later, there was a, there was an excellent thread that got very popular um, by a 6529 um, big sort of personality on crypto Twitter, where he sort of coined, you know, this term, the right to transact. Um, and I had already started working on the book at this point, but had barely really, I mean, I had not made any progress and who knows if I was going to ever finish it, frankly. But then when I saw this blow up and I'm like, oh, there's so there's someone else out there who thinks exactly like I do and has enough of a platform to where people see it and, uh, and people are loving it and I'm not, I'm not crazy. And there is something to say here, um, now, around this time, there were also some other things happening that really crystallized the idea in my mind, uh, Canada um, debanking a bunch of anti-government protesters who, you know, however you feel about them, I don't think in a constitutional democracy an appropriate response to your, you know, uh, political adversaries, whether or not they're breaking the law, you don't just summarily declare an emergency and cut them off from access to their own money on mass. That's not, we can get into all this. Uh, I imagine I'm preaching to the choir here, but. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just nodding my head as I was when I was reading your book. And what, what I, what I loved about it, um, is you really, you, you did some good research and like, it was all, all things that I had, you know, come across in, in, you know, in the crypto sphere. And you put it all together, which I like, and it like reminded me of like, wow, yeah, this happened, this happened, there's this, there's that. Um, it's, I think you did a great job at compiling uh, a bunch of facts that support your kind of your thesis here that there is a right to transact. And yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. I've been talking about it on this show from probably from day one without without calling it the right to transact so always something um it's it's kind of what i see as the value proposition of crypto is that it instill it 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 it, it gives us the right to transact in, in protocol form in an unstoppable in an unstoppable way um when the tornado cash devs were first accused um, we try to, uh, I tried to put like a rally together here in New York. It didn't really am amount to anything, 
well, one of the one of the phrases we we had going was uh, right to privacy and right to transact. So yeah, I could I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Do you want to go ahead and kind of summarize your thesis? What you mean by the right to transact? Yeah, sure. Um, do my best. Uh, the reason I wrote a book is because I'm bad at summarizing. You know, <laughs> uh, other people can do it in a thread. <laughs> but, I noticed you called uh, it an essay, which it's uh, it's like over. It's like a 200 page essay. It's it's quite a. Well, why why'd you label it an essay instead of a instead of a book? I don't know. Is, is that a well, like honest answer? I thought it would end up being you know 40, 50 pages, and uh, when it wasn't, <laughs> I didn't want to go back and find every mention and change it. So. Okay. Yeah, book seemed book seemed a little. Um, uh, a little much for you know something as short as I thought it would be, but yeah, um, yeah, let's do it. The right to transact. So, in constitutional democracies uh, like America's, we have we have certain rights that we recognize. Um, they might be honored more in the breach than in reality a lot of the time, but you know we can all at least agree in theory at some level that we have the right to free speech. Um, free exercise of religion, uh, you know, um, trial by a jury of our peers, protections against unwarranted search and seizure, um, you know, all, all sorts of things. And what I am saying in this book is very simply that we forgot one. The right to transact is on par with those other fundamental human civil liberties. Um, the reason I think that this hasn't really been acknowledged in, you know, the, the general discourse, you know, that the founding fathers didn't write it into the bill of rights or anything is simply that it was always impractical to, uh, to try to take somebody's right to transact away, you know, just technologically, the, the opportunity didn't really exist. You can be as authoritarian as you want. But what are you going to do? Like, stop people from spending coins and you know physical paper bills and you know IOUs to each other? It's just there are easier ways to you know repress your population until uh, the digitization of the economy, you know, the internet, and unfortunately, ironically, uh, you know, the invention of uh, Bitcoin and smart contracts and crypto have sort of inspired a lot of this, um, you know, but now we've got CBDCs, you know, central bank digital currencies coming down the pipeline. And even without that, just this digitized economy enables total complete panopticon dragnet surveillance of everyone's economic activity at all times. And it also enables, you know, direct arbitrary intervention without any sort of due process like we saw in Canada, you know, or just uh, every day somebody's getting debanked for some reason they might not ever even find out, or if they do find out, it's not a good reason because, you know, the, the whole, the whole system that we ostensibly have in place, you know, this constitutional protection where it's like, okay, oh, you did something wrong. All right. Well, the government needs to go to a judge and get a warrant and look through your stuff and find out what you did wrong and then, you know, make an, make an allegation, goes through a 
a trial and stuff. You know, I mean, none of that's happening. It's due, pro just, due process. Due process yeah. is something that, that yeah. exists, that's always existed. Uh, you know, it's, it's a big part of the Constitution. Yeah. And now, given the state of technology and the relationship between companies and the government, uh, in many ways, due process no longer exists. Yeah, you just have random bureaucrats, technocrats, cops, just sort of deciding how they feel about you, hitting a button, and and that's it. You know, you've been uh, you've been tried and sentenced all in one little click. I mean, it's and this is only becoming easier as the technology. I don't want to say advances, but you know, tightens its grip with things like CBDCs. So I. You know, long story short, I think it's about time that we acknowledge that if we don't have a right to transact, if we don't explicitly think about this as a real thing, like the right to free speech, uh, we're going to lose all kinds of freedoms just without even without even noticing, you know, that without even fighting back because you know the the payment rails are being used as a choke point. Um, to enforce not even laws, you know, just sort of the preferences of law enforcement and bureaucrats. And yeah, it's about time we uh, it's about time we asserted the right to transact by using crypto and Monero, especially Monero. Yeah, I love I love that. I love that you found your way to Monero, uh, especially you know through potentially through. I was always interested. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure you were. It sounds like it, it was very much on your radar. Um, so I'm just curious. Like, so in your in your research, um, did you find any references to kind of a right to transact? Uh, it being discussed in history. I don't know. Were, were, were the founding fathers in some way ever talking about the right to transact? I know. I don't know if you ever read. Um, some of Julius Julia Assange's like essays. Uh, there, there was a, there was a good I book. Actually, haven't I should entirely read those? Yeah, yeah. There was a good. I don't know if it, it was an essay. It was a it was a conversation that he had with like two other guys, and it was it was very much on this topic. Mm. Um, it's one of the ways that I had like uh, you know arrived at 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 Bitcoin and Monero. Um, and understanding the importance of it in the early day. I think the book was like published in 2011. Um, yeah, well, and I'm just curious if you came across like early references to the right to transact or, or discussions about it, um, you know, in terms of constitution and, uh, you know, whether yeah. or not it was ever thought about. I mean, I didn't, you okay. know, and I'll, and it, I mean, I'll fully admit I didn't go out and, you know. Read yeah. the Federalist Papers, looking for uh, it was know. it was an essay. This is why you're calling it an essay, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, this was a, you know, this was a couple year effort. This isn't my this isn't my uh, life's work or whatever. Although now I think I'm obsessed for life, so you know, maybe maybe um, maybe the second edition, I'll I'll really do the archival research and yeah. But it, my impression, and again, you know. I, I don't know. Some some smart and informed listener is gonna is gonna pull up some uh, you know argument between Madison and somebody you know, and and prove me wrong. But I just I don't know. I mean, I think 
it's it's hard to it's hard to find mention of this. Um, right. just... You know, where I did find something sort of eerily reminiscent of this was, uh, you know, the um, uh, what's the word epigram epigraph? It's one of those uh, of the book is just is from Revelation, the, the line about the mark of the beast. You know, I mean, in in the Bible, it says that no one will be able to buy or sell unless they're uh, you know. Um, in the good graces of the evil regime, but yeah, that's about all I found from before. Yeah, no, that, that's a pretty, ago. that's a pretty old, that's a pretty old reference, right? People were thinking about it from, yeah. from the very beginning of society. Um, did you have, did you take a, a moment to look more into that and understand that, that reference in the Bible? I, yeah, actually, when I read it in the book, when I read it in your book yesterday, that was one of the things I did. You know, I've heard of the Mark of the Beast, but I never stopped to really do research on it. Um, I'm curious, did you, is there any more you could tell us about that? Not really. I'm sorry to ask. I know these, these are tough questions. These are like, you no, know. No, I, no, I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm fully willing to uh, own my lack of um, sort of researching like every no, no worries. Possible historical nook and cranny of this because I think I think what the book is to me is basically just a polemic. You know, I I almost went more into research than I really wanted to because I wanted to keep it kind of timeless, but it it became impossible to not talk about you know things like Canada and like paypal's shenanigans over the years and you know other like concrete current events but like when i when i first started i had really the concept i had in mind was something that like you could sort of read in any time and place like without any context and just be like ah yes universal truths or whatever but it didn't really turn out like that but um but yeah i resisted the up uh, uh the I see it as a temptation to a, a bad habit I've had over the years is um, starting projects and uh, then deciding that I need all possible context on this <laughs> and disappearing into a reading list for three years and then giving up, you know, <laughs> like without ever, without ever doing it. So, but, um, but you did yeah, do, it. I don't know. I mean, hopefully somebody in your, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. When did you publish this? Was is this? Uh, I, I didn't oh, think August. Okay, so it's it's oh wow, rel- very very recent then. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah I'll, I'll say it again. No, I think you did a great job of pulling in a lot a lot of information, a lot of references of, of things that have happened, you know, since since the birth of crypto. Um, that re- that you know that that really provide evidence to the fact that. You know that we, we we need we we either need a right to transact or we need to rely on crypto to provide us that right without the permission of, of government. Yeah. Um, I thought that was uh, maybe maybe we, maybe we, we kind of go back to that a little bit. Um, why why would you even? Put the right to transact at the same level as something like you know freedom of speech, um, things like that. Like why, in in your words, why is it just as important? Yeah, well, uh, I think the simplest answer to this, and and this I did directly, just um, grab from six five two nine because this is 
the, this was the part of, uh, of his like thread on this topic that really just clarified for me. It's like, oh, this is, this is why, like, this is, this avoids so many like circular arguments about like, oh, well, come on, it's just fair. Or, you know, it's, you know, it, it seems like an obvious moral truth, at least to me. Um, but yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to get down to the pith of like, how do you argue to someone who doesn't immediately buy into that? Mm -hmm. Why, you know, why do we have a right to transact? Why is it so fundamental? And his answer, which I just entirely believe is without it, what other rights do you have? You know, what are you going to do if, if you simply are unable to use money? You can't buy, sell, you can't work and earn money. You know, you just like all the, all the money you're allowed to use in your society is your, you know, federal reserve digital wallet. And it just turns off one day and that's it. No more money for you. Um, what, how are you going to do life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness? Right. How are, how are you going to express yourself then? Like, oh, you have a right to free speech or whatever. Okay, sure. But. I, I can't obtain, obtain pen and paper, you know, it's like that much less, you know, uh, being deplatformed, but you know, I don't know, Facebook, Twitter, that kind of thing. Like how, I mean, I can't, I can't assemble and, and protest if I don't have a way of getting to the, to the place. I think, I think you give this example, right? Yeah. Uh, things like that. Like all, all those, <laughs> all, all those rights, uh, it's great if they exist, but if you can't, if you can't freely transact, uh, good luck practicing any of them. Right. Yeah. So that'd be my, that's the, that seems like the simplest sort of most straightforward formulation. It's like, oh, well, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, I think I would just add that it's, you can, you can make all sorts of, um, of practical sort of like ends based arguments about why uh why we should have free speech for example you know like why should we tolerate um you know truly hateful bigoted just awful awful speech why why should we allow that and people will say and i think they're right that you know if you don't have that you empower some kind of uh you know centralized authority who then you know in its self-interest will abuse its powers to decide what can and can't be said. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, we need to be able to discuss, uh, seemingly hateful ideas in order to progress because, you know, I don't know, once upon a time it was considered hateful that, you know, I mean, anyone who didn't, uh, abide by every single teaching of the, you know, hierarchical Catholic church, would be burned at the stake. You know, you should, you should be allowed to express, you know, a little bit of heresy, you know, that idea also. Yeah. Great. That's, that's, uh, that's a good practical reason, but outside of the practical stuff, you know, I just believe in basic human dignity. And if, if we don't have a right to transact, we don't, we don't have that, you know? Um, also just, sorry, last thing. I gotta, I gotta let you talk here. I, I get no, off. On the no, 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 no. If anything, I'm cutting you off too much. Trust me. The, the viewers get get pissed when I talk too much, and I want the guest talks too much. Yeah, I'm right. getting warmed up. Um, but you know, uh, when oh no, what was I gonna say? Oh no, <laughs> and, 
Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'm sure it'll come back to me. <laughs> well, let me ask, let me ask you this. What are you, what are you proposing? Are you proposing? And this is where, um, maybe a lot of the viewers are like, oh, the right to transact. We're, we're, we're cypherpunks, you know, we're, we're building Bitcoin. We're building Monero. These things are censorship resistant. Monero is private. It's, you know, it's, it's fungible. People can't see the transactions. Why, why are we looking to ask for a government to, to grant us a right? Uh, are we here to just build some unstoppable tech that they can't stop? Yeah. Yeah. Um, short answer. I completely agree. If that's your view, absolutely go back to building unstoppable tech. That's awesome. Because that's, that's where it really matters. You know, that's, that's how we actually assert this, right? But I think that you need the mimetic component too. You need the slogan, you know, you, you need, you need something, you need to be able to say the right to transact and other people know what you're talking about. And that has emotional resonance for them. And it's like, you know, it brings up a whole like complex of like ideas and beliefs and stuff. Because you can build the best, you know, uh, permissionless, decentralized, private tech in the world. But if no one knows why they would even want that or what the problem is or, you know, like, and I think condensing it, I mean, you know, any number of other awesome uh, slogans is, you know, you, I mean, there are so many ideas that uh, resonate so profoundly with me in crypto, but this is just, I mean, I think this is just one more, you know, because I actually like in the book, I, I don't know, I barely mention, I'm not sitting there arguing that like politicians need to go out and try to amend the constitution or like pass a law or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, I would, I mean, yeah, I would certainly be in favor of that, but I don't really, I don't really care about that. I mean, the laws are just paper in the end, you know, it's, it's people believing in this, feeling as strongly about it as they do the right to free speech or to bear arms or something. Right. And then it's the tech, you know, right. but I think you need both like cyberpunks do. I've been yelled at by cyberpunks who are like, no, literally don't even talk about ideas. Cyberpunks like write code or whatever. I'm like, I don't know. I, <laughs> I mean, uh, it gets a little confusing. It's like, no, we're on the same team. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, you, uh, every every movement has, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's we're on the same team, exactly. Yeah, I think a little bit comes from the fact that you know we're we're not coders. I'm I'm not. I mean, I'm a cypherpunk by philosophy, but I don't have the ability to go build out Monero. I have the ability to help it in other ways. And a major way I can help is just by spreading the idea of Monero and the concept of Monero and why it's important. Right. Which is basically what you're saying. We need to, we need it. We need the meme of, of why it's important to spread of why it matters. People need to understand the problem that it's solving, uh, which is providing people this right to transact where, no government can can take it away yeah um 
do you think this is a practical goal? I mean, we can't even get people to understand the right to privacy, I feel like. And everybody's being spied on 24-7. And we're out here being like, the right to privacy, you know, uh, don't don't you care? You don't, want, you don't want people to be able to, you know, look into your windows in your bedroom. Why are you okay with Google, uh, you know, knowing knowing everything about you or Amazon knowing everything about you? Why are you okay with the banks knowing what you're doing with your money? Why is everybody okay with this? So people aren't even understanding or caring about the right to privacy. Do you think we get them to the point where they care about the right to transact? Or do you think that maybe they potentially can care more about that than the right to privacy? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I wish I wish I had a I had a good answer to that, you know. Um I mean, hope springs eternal. Uh I I'm optimistic. Um but only because I have to be, you know, because otherwise what am I doing? <laughs> like I mean, every everything you said is definitely is definitely true. It's it can be really disheartening watching people sort of enthusiastically abdicate their own rights. Uh, you know, especially when they're trying to score, you know, petty, like partisan, you know, points, you know, tribal stuff. It's, um, yeah, it's really, it's really sad to see. Uh, but you know, I, what makes me optimistic? Um, I mean, just anecdotally, I think I think one now this is this is wrapped up in you know some pessimism at the same time it's a, this is a bittersweet notion but it can simply get bad enough to where the average person sees what's happening <laughs> and we might be getting closer to that um I would rather things just stay good <laughs> than you know um then society degenerate to where, oh, now everyone shares my political beliefs. Yay. This is a victory, you know? Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's sort of Pyrrhic, but, um, that's one. And, uh, and the other thing, you know, I don't know, just the experience of, um, cause you know, people in my, in my life, um, know that, that I did this and, you know, they're all, they're all so proud, you know, they're like, oh, wow, you're a, you're a whole book. People love books. It's it's just a very exciting, not essays, essays, whatever, but books. You know, <laughs> you cross that two hundred page threshold or whatever, and they they get very excited. So they like stories, yeah. And they you know, and they read it, and um, and I, you know, I don't look, I don't want to, I don't want to pick on anybody, but um, I've had some of the most uh, people I would imagine would be so hostile to these ideas, you know, would would hear even a couple of these phrases and immediately go far right, illegal, deep platform, you know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, and th they've been, you know, they've been very receptive. Um, now I probably took that like personal relationship for them to get through a few pages and really actually sort of have an open mind about it. But like, I don't, I don't know. This, this does make sense to people. And I think part of the reason and this is actually what I forgot what I was going to say earlier and forgot is that um is that the right to transact unlike a lot of other things a lot of other rights like we've just had it this whole time in practice 
And I think that's why no one, again, I can't guarantee the founding fathers didn't talk about it or whatever, but uh, I didn't see anything. And, um, and I think the reason is that it just wouldn't have made sense. Like, you know, what are you talking about? Like, who's gonna, who's gonna stop you from like, you want to buy or sell something like, I don't, right. I don't know your, your copper coin that you're, you know, handing over to somebody in 1790 isn't, isn't going to like spring to life and refuse to be spent on, you know, seditious material or some, you know, contraband or whatever. Like it was, it, it's just a preposterous notion. Like money was not an effective means of censorship or control until it was digitized. And when people realize this, they go, oh, I've enjoyed a freedom my entire life and it's being clawed away from me in real time. You know, I don't love that. Um, that arguably describes privacy too, but I mean, we've had, we've had, you know, the government snooping on you maybe less effectively, but that's, that's a tale as old as time, you know, that um, free speech being infringed is the norm not the exception uh you know freedom of religion all that like a, a lot of these other rights are things that have barely ever been you know respected whereas this is sort of like everyone had this right all the time until now it's exciting to hear that people that you've shown the book to that are necessarily assumed to be people that would uh, agree with the with these ideas are are taking are taking to it. That that's exciting to hear. Yeah, Have you being polite? But you know, yeah, you mean it. Got the opposite because I mean I've I've been out out there literally on the streets, you know, trying to explain Monero to people at times, and often I get. The, the eyes glazing over, right? Not even what I'm talking about, just the, the elimination of cash, right? Trying to, oh, you're, you're using, you know, I'll talk to a vendor and he's accepting Benmo or whatever. Like, oh, you know, all those transactions are are completely traceable. The government can see them. Just like, eh, whatever. It's, you know, I got nothing to hide. <laughs> right? I, I got nothing to hide line. Yeah. Wow. No. Edward, Ed, uh, Edward Snowden uh, talks about those things very eloquently when he talks about the importance of the right to privacy, comparing it to freedom of speech. Um, yeah, what is that? I, it's like the equivalent of saying I have nothing to say, or is that is that his line? <laughs> yeah, saying, uh, yeah, 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 something like that, right? Uh, saying you don't care about the right to, what is it? It's not the, I forget saying what I have nothing yeah. to hide. So I don't care about the right to privacy. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, we're just yeah, yeah. They have, it's like, <laughs> like I have nothing to. I don't care about the uh, freedom of speech because I have nothing to say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which freedom of speech? Everybody's like, what? No, of course, freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my freedom of speech. They yeah. don't care about other people's. Right. <laughs> so that's that's uh, you know have you have I guess have you gotten those other reactions the. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Whatever, man. Like, yeah, well, from those same people. I don't, I don't care. It's convenient. It's free. It's free to send cryptocurrency a right to transact. I can transact. I could just use Venmo. Nobody, uh, nobody stop them. Yeah, 
um, no, these these very same people, my you know friends and family, and uh, found me very annoying. It's <laughs> 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 just you know the <laughs> the standard labels, just like oh, conspiracy theorists, yeah. you know, what I mean? like, and, uh, and you know, I mean, they tolerated me, but um, but yeah, I definitely graded on them. But that's the magic of a uh, <laughs> listeners out there. If you, if your friends and family are annoyed by your crazy Monero adjacent ideas, the secret is you write it down in a book and they'll go crazy for it. <laughs> Books are magical. People just <laughs> I, I know. I, I have I can't believe I haven't been gotten there yet, you know, I just haven't had the time. Um but that that is a great way. That is a great way to to get people to to understand. Because these 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 are complicated topics. You do have to take people through, you have to take them on a journey. Yeah them to really understand um but to get back on track yeah i i think it's gonna it's gonna take moments it's gonna take um unfortunately it's gonna take moments where governments are acting out in a totalitarian way and taking away people's right to transact for people to realize that they they need a right to transact, right? And I think that's maybe where we could start to talk about CBDCs, which is a big part of your book. Like that might be the the catalyst, the wake up moment where everybody's like, "Whoa, wait a minute! I used to just be able to spend my money whenever I wanted. Now I notice when I go to send send my digital dollar." To buy to buy meat at the market, it's I'm only I'm only allowed to spend so much at a time. Yeah. I don't remember things being like that with, with cash. You've exceeded your carbon allowance for the week or something, you know? <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Now, I think most people outside of the Monero sphere and part of the crypto sphere would be like, 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 what the fuck are you talking? What are you crazy? Like, right? Like you're a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Um, but these things aren't too far-fetched. And I think you you give some good evidence in your book as to how we've already seen governments take advantage of technologies, the current technologies that they have, and that it's perfectly conceivable to see how they will most likely take advantage of this new technology, the CBDC, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I mentioned uh, just before we get into CBDCs, I mean, on governments already doing this. Uh, I mean, I mentioned Canada earlier. I think people are familiar with that story, but, you know, the um, Trudeau declared emergency powers and, uh, and you know, announced that essentially banks and financial service providers, uh, when just provided with names by the police, should freeze those accounts no additional due process just you know finger gets pointed account gets frozen and uh that they would be protected from any litigation by the you know the victims of that treatment and yeah that uh that i think was a wake-up call um for a lot of people unfortunately uh, a lot of people didn't know it happened it wasn't really you know, if you get outside of of our sort of uh, you know bubble, um, crypto Monero, that this this sort of area, people don't know that that's that that's even a thing that happened. You know, 
there there were articles in the papers and the mainstream media, but they were not aghast. You know, the tone was not what has happened. It was just like, you know, either straightforward or, you know, frankly, pretty. Um, uh, I don't I don't want to say quite approving, but you know, you know, just that there wasn't there wasn't outrage. Normal people didn't hear about this or know to be angry about it. They were angry at the protesters who, you know, maybe they should be. I don't, I don't, I don't really have an opinion on the protests themselves, um, just the response to them. Um, well, yeah, that that's a product of politics and propaganda, right? And people not being able to separate this issue from what it was they were protesting about. It doesn't. They they could have been out there protesting about anything. The what the fact is, the government stepped in and censored their their ability to transact for purposes of shutting down their protest but 99% of society didn't really care about that they just cared about what the topic of the protest was and if they if they didn't agree with the topic of the protest they were like yeah fine whatever yeah let let, let yeah. them shut down their bank account i don't i don't want the truckers you know locking down my city um mm -hmm. These these crazy loons who don't want to give who don't believe in vaccines or you know they they just saw them as uh, you know, conspiracy theorists whatever it is they didn't even stop to consider the fact that there was no conspiracy going on here but governments were actively acting totalitarian to like the worst degree possible yeah and shutting people down shutting down their ability to transact but unfortunately it's it's hard to break through to these people that are already politically aligned with these certain ideas and they, they just can't see the deeper issue. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like not until it happens to them, right? Not until it happens to them, to their, to their cause or the thing that they believe in only then will they then be like, Oh, okay. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's like, like, you know that if we make this a normal thing, the way the government deals with protesters, it can be, yeah, it can be a progressive left-wing thing that gets, you know, shut down in this way by a right-wing government, you know, and they go, <laughs> it's like, or, you know, but the, I mean, yeah, I'm just like, well, that would be bad, but this is okay. It's unfortunate. Um, but yeah, the thing, the thing about CBDCs is that, uh, they, they take that process, you know, where the government, you know, declares an emergency, they have to do a big press conference. They can only really get away with it if, you know, some big, you know, event is happening that is making people angry. Uh, they have to, you know, then go to private businesses who in this case were extremely compliant docile even but might not be next time you can't guarantee it you know maybe not all of them will be you know it's it's this whole process it's inconvenient with the cbdc it's easy it's a you know push of a button i mean it's <laughs> the, there doesn't have to be any public announcement of anything no declaration of emergency no no, you know, liaising with the private sector. You just, you just do it. Um, this obviously depends on how any given CBDC is designed at the end of the day, but 
I mean, in in your heart of hearts, do you really think that it will incorporate a lot of, uh, you know, protections and due process and privacy and all of this other stuff that we've seen be so severely eroded by, you know, the direction everything else is moving over the past 10, 20 years? Like, why would this be different? Do you love coffee and Monero as much as we do? Consider making gratuitous.org your daily cup. Pay with Monero for premium fresh beans. And if you like what you taste, send a digital cash tip directly to the Guatemalan farmers that made it possible. Proceeds help us grow this channel, gratuitous, and Monero. We talk about it on the show all the time, but but tell what what do you see as the likely outcome for CBDCs? Give give us your your vision, yeah, your dystopian vision of what a CBDC will, will look like and why your average citizen should be concerned. Sure, um, yeah. I mean, I I I do a little uh, I do a little thought exercise in the book. I just you know um, it's a little. It's it's a little bit of you know speculative fiction, but but I think something that's very rooted in. I mean, just for the record, I spent a couple of years reading just about everything that's come out of any major central bank in the you know Bank for International Settlements about CBDCs. You know, all of their working papers and you know discussion papers and stuff and. I mean, this is all just sort of based on a lot of it they just actually say, you know, it's like, what are the sources of these conspiracy theories? Like the central banks just read it, you know, but they don't, you know, they don't say all of this. Um, Some of it is me extrapolating from, you know, the way that, I don't know, the government treats us in other spheres uh, or, you know, private companies do. Um, But anyway, this, uh, this little thought experiment, I say... You know, let's just let's just call her Alice. You know, one day she's she gets up in the morning, she's going to work. Uh, she she wants to get a coffee, stops at the coffee shop, orders, taps her phone on the on the little um, you know the what do you call them the POS you know the little card reader things and uh, my Fed wallet you know just error you know that, that could not could not process. Um, and that's just when she finds out, you know, tries it again, tries it at the gas station, finds that her, uh, you know, utility bills aren't being paid. She's just been cut off and she doesn't get to use the CBDC anymore. And at least in this scenario, which I think is very likely, uh, cash is no longer accepted or issued or legal tender. You know, we're in a cashless society because otherwise, how are you going to enforce the social policy goals of the CBDC. You know, if there's just this alternative, people will use it. In fact, CBDCs were first floated in 2015 as a way to solve the issue of people uh, avoiding negative interest rates by going into cash, you know, a zero interest rate thing. I mean, this the idea that CBDCs needed to be the monopoly sort of currency goes back to their very beginning. Uh, but now central banks deny that they want to do that. And maybe they mean it, but I think in the end they will. So 
you know, there's this, there, there's just this thing that can happen the way that it, you know, it's tragic and it just happens to random people sometimes, but you just get kicked out of your bank. I mean, that's awful. Or PayPal kicks you out and all, you know, you depend on that for your job for some reason, Patreon, whatever you get deplatformed by any of these, uh, things and it can be really detrimental. What if that just happens with money? You get deplatformed by the currency itself. <laughs> Dollars are not can't be sent to you. You can send them. <laughs> you have them, and it's just over. Um, so I'd say that's a pretty dystopian, uh, yeah, outcome from the individual perspective. Um, less less extreme, but perhaps even more likely. Is it just that people can be cut off the system, but that the system will be used to imp- essentially implement policies? Yeah, steer society right slowly. Yeah, uh, to cause chilling effects. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not that everybody gets you know uh, if some somebody has a certain social credit score that they get completely cut off, but maybe it's things like we're saying before uh, if their carbon footprint's too high. They get charged a little bit more the next time they go buy their a plane ticket, just a little bit more, right? And all and all, all of society is is kind of being pushed in one direction or another, and basically, governments are now implementing policy through the way in which they they program money. Yeah, because you have to think like at that point when that happens you know, money stops being this sort of neutral, fungible thing. It stops being money. It's something different. It's it's coupons, you know, it's it's food stamps. All of a sudden it's subject to all sorts of opaque, elaborate rules that can change at any time, you know. And also the thing about them being digitized is that the rules can be as complex as, you know, uh, and and tailored, personalized. You know, I mean like this technology exists. Social media ads can target, you know, <laughs> based on thoughts you didn't know you had. You know what I mean? Like it's, they can be so personalized based on so many sources of incredibly like invasive data collection. And that could just be how money works. You know, it, it could be, it might not be like, oh, her, you know, Alice goes to the coffee shop and can't buy coffee because she's just been straight kicked out of the system. I mean, that's a catastrophic outcome when I think it happened, but instead it's like you're saying, it's like, you know, oh, I want to go buy, want to go buy some charcoal, having a barbecue. Oh, no, due to, you know, due to wildfire risk, like, you know, your area is not allowed to buy charcoal, you know, you know, or it could be something about you, you know, it's, it's like you go to try to buy a book that maybe has some interesting ideas on Amazon or whatever. And based on your social media history and internet browsing history, the algorithm has determined that you really probably shouldn't be reading that book. (laughs) You're looking a little suspicious. Uh, Not only can you not buy that, but we're, you know, diminishing your, uh, your spending threshold for a few weeks here. um, Just to, just to let you know, you know, (laughs) Right. The real problem is the, the initial policies that are going to be implemented by something like a CBDC are, are going to be things that 
really nobody can argue against, right? Like, or, or, or maybe some some small subset of society will, but for the most part, everyone would be like, "Yeah, this sounds like a good idea." Um, yeah, let's let's make it more difficult for people to buy cigarettes or sugary drinks, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we 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 auto add a tax when somebody goes to to spend their CBDC on on a sugary drink and they had already bought one that week. Yeah, we we want people to be healthy. Who doesn't want people to be healthy? We're we're helping people, right? We're working together as a society to uh, you know bring down the cost of healthcare by gearing how people can spend their money. Um, you know, I would be concerned about that off the bat, but there's a, a, unfortunately a large swath of society that might see the value in that initially, right? Yeah. And if you talk about a slippery slope, you know, and they say, oh, that's a fallacy. Oh, don't be paranoid, you know. But it always starts like that. I mean, I'm old enough to remember before social media companies really deplatformed people. It just sort of didn't happen. It was a free-for-all, you know. And then, like, Alex Jones got deplatformed by every by every social media company just all at once. And, and who was mad about that? Because, you know, everybody said, oh, that guy's crazy. He's the worst, you know? And, like, I, uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to express an opinion here, but, like, the thing is, however you feel about him, it didn't stop with him, and it was never going to. <laughs> and now people get kicked off left and right, and everyone acknowledges that. You know, they might say that it's good that certain people get kicked off, but back in 2018 or whenever that was, like, people said you were crazy. You're being paranoid. You think that this is going to be like a regular, you know, immediate resort that like uh, the social media companies will take. So yeah, I mean, you get slippery slopes, and I entirely agree. It'll start with super unobjectionable type of things. You know, it's like, like oh, cigarettes, sugary drinks. You know, I mean. And we got to save the climate. Oh, d- drugs are bad. No, we can tell you're buying cocaine. You can't buy cocaine. It's not allowed, you know. But once you once you have that sort of precedent in place, you can just keep going. And the thing is, like, if you build these systems, they'll last forever. I mean, decades, centuries, probably, will always have this. So you have to assume that it's like, Oh, I trust the government. Okay, you trust this government. Do you trust like every government in like every country for the next like 200 years? Because at some point, this just happens. It's tragic. But, you know, we're going to get another like truly horrifying, not just sort of nanny state, you know, telling me I can't buy meat because of climate change, but like we'll get like a truly horrifying actual genocidal dictatorship and they'll have a CBDC, you know? And maybe it's here, and it's it's just like you you gotta you gotta think long term if you're gonna hand this kind of power over to the state. I philosophically think they have no business having that kind of power, but just practically, might be a bad idea. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's a law of nature, right? There's a certain percentage of society is is always going to be a, is, is, is have psychopathic tendencies, right? Mm-hmm. And, Unfortunately, those are the people that end up going into politics and trying to, uh, you know, it, 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 gain power over people. And it's always been a problem throughout throughout the course of history, but we've always been able to overthrow them. But now with these tools and this technology, the fear is 
at some point, do we reach a point where the right psychopath at the right time, uh, you know, gets, gets, gets into the driver's seat and now has these, you know, these extremely powerful technologies that then become very difficult for society to then overthrow and, and, and topple. Right. Like tyranny has always been an issue, but we've always been able to topple tyranny. Mm -hmm. But what, what I think what people are having a hard time realizing is in a, in a technocracy, uh, combining that with, with tyranny, are you then able to, to topple it or has it become unstoppable? Yeah. And I mean, you know, you mentioned the, uh, the psychopaths being attracted to positions of power. And the thing is, if you, if you grant this kind of power, like really, I mean, a CBDC and the full like surveillance, full control model, like this is just the government now. This is law enforcement now. Like they just have all the power over everything. I mean, obviously, I don't know. I'm not saying, I'm not saying, you know, existing institutions like become nothing at all, but it's just all of a sudden you've made the central bank like Congress and the judiciary and the FBI all in one. Think of the kinds of psychopaths you're going to attract to that institution. You know, who's going to be in charge of the CBDCs in a generation? Like, not sort of mousy macroeconomists, you know, people with like PhDs and, you know, you might have like negative opinions of them, but they're not. I I really don't think for the most part they're like society's greatest monsters. <laughs> like, they're just bureaucrats. You, you replace them with, I don't know, you, you build this kind of system and it's like, who, who is going to want to run that? Somebody who's aware of its, of its power. Right. <laughs> um, and you got to imagine the people that are putting it into, into place right now are, are already quite aware. Yeah. Uh, they're trying to I'm put it. Giving them too much credit <laughs> by giving them any credit. <laughs> what do you, uh, this is a, this is a tough one, but I, you don't, know, if you can, if you can answer this, it's the the million dollar question. How do you see CBDCs playing out, particularly in the United States? Do you think we end up with a CBDC that's widely adopted in the United States anytime soon? And is it of the ilk where it isn't it isn't private? Uh, you know, on the on the protocol level, it doesn't actually act in a cash like manner. Um, What's what's your guess? How do how do you think the CBDs going? Because we've already seen pushback, right? We've seen yeah. politically there's pushback. There's there's factions of society that are already catching wind of this, which is not, which is exciting to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's encouraging. We've seen political leaders that are out there talking out against it. The other political side, I guess, is, is calling them wackos, but uh, we see major political figures calling attention to CBDCs. I'm just curious. What do you? How do you think it's going to play out, given the political nature of the United States, where we're currently at? Mm. Yeah, I mean, ooh, it's tough. I like I like I said earlier on a different topic. I I'm optimistic because I have to be, <laughs> you know. Other otherwise, what am I doing? But um, yeah, I'm. Look, I'm really pleased to see. The thing is, I mean, when I started writing the book. No one knew what a CBDC was. 
Like, and I'm not saying literally no one, but like, I mean, this was not a thing that normal politicians ever mentioned. It was not, it was not an acronym that, you know, was printed in major papers. It just, it was not a topic of conversation. And I'm glad to see that it is now. Um, people are starting to get inoculated against it uh, because they have they have this fun quality where CBDCs are so awful and so unnecessary and no one has ever asked for anything like this <laughs> that when they get brought up, you know, I mean, the side that supports them, I don't want to say all Democrats support them. I don't think that's the case. But, you know, I mean, broadly I, in this, you know, everything's so polarized that in this moment, uh, seem to be the ones more in favor and, um, but they don't want to talk about it. You know, they don't, they don't, they're not going out selling CBDCs. How would you, I mean, like what is, what is appealing? So right. they're not talking nice. against it, but they're not, they're not talking it up either. <laughs> like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know that CBDC. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so, you know, they're like R RFK Jr. doesn't like it, but he's a, he's a whack job, but uh, I'm not saying I like him. Right. So, so we yeah. have RFK Jr. that's out there talking against them. We have uh, Ron DeSantis, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Congressman Tom Emmer. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a bunch of people now. Uh, I think Ted Cruz is. is... Ted Cruz. Um, no, it's great to see because, I mean, it it is nice that uh, <laughs> that it is just such an unappealing thing that so far the, the people in favor of it have not managed to <laughs> to really get any like explicit support um now on the other hand that there's a scenario where uh where it just gets you know sort of rushed through it, it seems like it requires legislation but who knows i don't i don't i don't know about that kind of stuff um you know where it just gets sort of pushed through as you know oh uh, modernization of the payment rails it's very boring don't pay attention to it don't we had fed now right fed now yeah. was kind of a, a yeah that didn't happen in that direction that wasn't a topic of normal dinner table conversation that you know people didn't go to the bar and argue about fed now with you know in a politics you know like that's not so it could happen like that it could just sort of happen and what? uh you know, people don't really know what's happening. They're just like, oh, the, oh, digitization, that's the future. Yeah. Ooh, streamlined convenience. And by the time anyone realizes what's actually happening, it's too stuck or too polarized, you know, because you do. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you, you've started to see a certain segment of journalists are being are being mobilized in in support of CBDCs. Uh, the talking points are, you know, so convoluted. It's it's funny. Like I said, nobody actually explicitly supports these things. But you know, I mean, they you know they point to a to a right wing politician like Ron DeSantis saying, you know, things about CBDCs, which I I think are at least plausible, if not just factual. And uh, they say, oh, misinformation, oh, conspiracy theory. Oh, fact check, you know, and manage to associate it with, you know, make it sound like QAnon or something. And, um, and unfortunately that's a, I, you know, I, I, I believe in the, the people of this country and, and think that they're, you know, too smart to fall for something that lazy, but, uh, you know, it's a pretty effective tactic, um, 
And I also just think that it is so clearly in the interest of the big institutional blob of, you know, law enforcement, um, intelligence, of, of the, the whole alphabet soup, CIA, FBI, you know, the Treasury, the Fed. I mean, you know, the state, I, I imagine a lot of people in your audience are fans of uh, James C. Scott's uh, seeing like the state. You know, the state likes to see everything. Um, they want they want visibility. They want the population to be legible. And all these people spending all this money on all these different platforms, you know, or even at cash, you know, so 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 anonymous. You know, uh, they they just don't like that. Um, and I think that uh, that the state will might be patient, you know. Um, I think it might take longer here in America than, you know, Europe's moving fast. They love this. They're like, sure, yeah, whatever. CBDCs, let's go. Um, there is opposition there. I don't want to be too flippant about it. Um, China is obviously already building it. I mean, it's it's you know, it's a, it's being piloted at scale. But people uh, are like, people are like, don't we already have that? Like, bring it on. We will. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, you know, um, look, I think it could happen here. I mean, I think we have to take that risk very seriously. I mean, it's I, I don't I don't want to be a doomer about it, but yeah, it's um, it's I'm I'm happy that we're moving more slowly than Europe and China, but it but we're moving, and uh, and the thing the thing also about the politicians, I love to see it and everything, but. I don't have a lot of faith in, you know, um, the Republican Party over the next 10 and 20 years or something being steadfast in their opposition to CBDCs. I mean, right. so much of the of the financial surveillance, you know, apparatus, this whole KYC AML thing, I mean, so much of it came from, you know, the Patriot Act era from from Republicans, from Bush, you know, and so it's like, I'm like, okay, look, it, it, yeah, y'all are my friends now. It, it, that's great, you know. <laughs> like we're on the same side now. Right. But I, I remember when you weren't, you know. And you might not yeah. be again. That might be Democrats in five years who are talking about, you know, liberties and you know the, you know, the right to transact, and and then and they'll be my friends. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's all it's all just dirty politics, and at the end of the day, you you have the the powerful people behind the scenes slowly getting done what they want to get done. Yeah, who, do you have any insight in who those powerful people might be, and like what the dynamics look like? Right, so we we have politicians out there arguing for and against CBDCs, but who are the real interest groups behind them? Right, obviously, we have the, you know the the central the central banks that stand to gain a ton of power. If a central bank digital currency is created, and then maybe on the other side we have like commercial banks. It's not that they care about people's privacy, but they care about what they're going to lose in terms of their business model and things like that. If a CBDC was to come into effect, have you have you gone down that rabbit hole at all? Any insight there? What the what the real powers at play might be? You know the. On the surface, it's, oh, we like CBDCs because they can be used to do these things efficiently. And, you know, we don't like CBDCs because it's going to take away people's right to transact or their, their privacy. But I feel like there's there's something deeper there, right? There's these commercial 
powers, these commercial interests that are really fighting it out ultimately behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, internationally, I don't, I don't think this is really news to anybody, but the, you know, the biggest cheerleaders behind CBDCs are, uh, the bank for international settlements, which is not itself a central bank, but, um, the sort of tagline I see all the time is it's like the central bank, central bank. It's, it's kind of like a think tank, you know, but they, they publish, um, you know, rah, rah, let's design CBDCs. It'll be great. Uh, we'll, they'll fix climate change and stuff, you know, um, they, they're, they're behind that kind of stuff. Um, actually that, that, <laughs> that direct line for the record, uh, comes from an IMF paper that, that I read. I don't, I don't think they've ever directly promised, um, the BIS specifically that, that CBDCs will fix climate change, uh, fact check there. But, um, yeah, um, domestically uh, in the U.S. Um, so I guess this is this is how I look at it. Basically, there's um, there's a case uh, that's I think going to excuse me I think going to the Supreme Court now um, called Missouri versus Biden uh, the. The uh, Attorney General of Missouri and some other plaintiffs sued the White House um, for just what, what it turns out based on, you know, discovery. This was also a lot of this in the Twitter papers, uh, Twitter files. Um, this massive concerted government-wide censorship campaign that, I mean, I think a lot of us suspected or, or knew was happening to some degree, but just the the scale and blatant, I mean, the nature of it, uh, and how, you know, how unaccountable and, um, now it's word I'm looking for anyway, just egregious. Um, and essentially like every, every department of the executive was, you know, had a hand in this. I mean, uh, CISA is, is this sort of obscure, um, part of the i think the department of homeland security um but they were sort of coordinating meetings among i mean every social media company uh and the treasury um the department of health you know the department of homeland security uh just the FBI, there are, you know, CIA <laughs> individuals sprinkled throughout this, um, a bunch of universities, you know, there's this whole operation, so much of it, I mean, all of it hidden, uh, from the American people to censor American speech on social media. And it's just this massive operation that, you know, it includes not just the government, the intelligence community law enforcement, but also like, you know, academia and all of these private companies. And that, that's the machine that is going to be deployed towards CBDCs. You know, I'm not sure how much even change needs to happen, you know, in, in the, in the nature of the personnel, you know, I mean, they, it's funny, they, this whole thing, they slapped a couple different names on it, uh, over the years, you know, it, it, it kept like changing acronyms or whatever. 
Um, but it was always this, it was always the same thing, you know, and it was fighting scare quotes, disinformation, meaning, you know, censoring constitutionally protected speech, a lot of it actually factual. And I mean, yeah, that's the, that's what's going to get pointed at the same activity, censorship, but just along a new axis, not speech, but value, you know, transactions. Because when you when you stop someone from spending money, I mean, you're just censoring a transaction rather than a tweet or whatever. And and I think that's I think that's what we're looking at. Um, yeah, I couldn't you know I could name some of the uh, individuals um, involved in this effort, but I don't know. I'm kind of bad with names. I don't want to get one wrong and accidentally. <laughs> I don't want to slander somebody or, you know, point. Maybe not names, but, but, but groups, what do you see as being the, the, the power force behind this, right? This is, this is all ties into this, this concept of a, a one world government, right? And all these, all these things, these seem to be moving us closer in that direction. Um, technologies that are being used against society on a global scale to control people on a, on a mass scale. Yeah. Uh, you get into, you get into it in the book, uh, when you talk about high modernism, you want, you want to, you want to yeah, touch sure. on that? Um, yeah. So the, the, um, author I mentioned, uh, a little bit ago, um, James C. Scott, um, uh, I think you call him an anarchist. Yeah. Just sort of a really famous anarchist, um, you know, author, philosopher, uh, academic wrote wrote a book called "Seeing Like a State," um, and in it he he coined this term called high modernism, and essentially he says, you know, look at look at the history of sort of the second half of the nineteenth century, first half of the twentieth century, right? You have you have states, you know, across what, you know, the West, essentially, um, Japan too, uh, modernizing. And, you know, we're all familiar with what this, with what this looks like, you know, um, you have a bunch of people moving to cities, you have uh, development of, you know, new technologies, you have railroads, you have, uh, you know, everything gets laid out on a grid, everything is, everything is modern, all of a sudden we're we're organized, you know, the state conducts effective censuses and knows who everybody is, you know, and collects data and makes data-driven decisions about stuff. And, you know, I mean, and, you know, despite all of the negative consequences um, for, you know, freedom that have emerged from that, how many of us really want to go reverse the modernism, you know, project? Like, do we really want to go back to being like, you know, subsistence farmers, <laughs> you know, in a in a semi-feudal society? I don't I don't know that I necessarily do. And you know, maybe. Um, but so that's modernism, right? And what Scott calls high modernism is that that process, that project, that aesthetic just take it to this insane degree. To where it doesn't even make sense anymore. It doesn't actually achieve any of the things that modernism achieved because, you know, we developed all these new medicines and the water's clean now and people die less, you know, the the life expectancy shot up, population shot up. I mean, good things came from it, right? 
But high modernism just thinks that uh, shiny technology, coding everything in Chrome, laying everything out on a grid, saying a bunch of scientific sounding words, that that's the whole point. That it's not a means to an end or, you know, a discipline that, that gets you to a, uh, you know, to a cleaner, more orderly society. But that just like, you just lay shit out on grids and there you go. Boom, boom. And that is the, that's the mentality behind some of the greatest tragedies of the modern era. I mean, you know, the Bolsheviks were high modernists, right? They were just like, oh, we're going to, we're going to drag Russia into the future. You know, we know exactly how the future is going to look because we've scientifically analyzed society, right? And actually, you know, none of their science is totally absent. You know, there's no empiricism. It's just science sounding vibes, you know? They're like, oh, we're going to collectivize. That's modern, you know, and they you know, drag the whole peasantry onto collective farms and cause famines and kill tens of millions of people. And, but hey, it was, you know, sure was modern. <laughs> you know that? And, um, and I think that it's important to, to recognize this sort of tendency, uh, this, this thread that runs through not just, you know, the Bolsheviks are, we'd call them far left, but not just the left. I mean, you know, you can find high modernists on, on the right. Um, uh, there was a, a famous sort of, sort of urban, what would you call him? Like a, like a civil engineer, sort of urban architect type of the, the term I'm looking for is escaping me, but, um, who, you know, was really into building planned cities and, you know, he's very much a, a right wing, uh, figure from the 20th century. Um, he, Robert Moses, say it again, Robert Moses. Oh, Oh yeah, no, that's a better. <laughs> well, actually, no. Robert Moses is perfect. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Go with Robert Moses. He's he is uh, quintessentially high modernist. You know, he's just gonna it just build a million tall bridges and you know tunnels. And, you know, blow everything up, rebuild the city. Somehow the traffic got worse. <laughs> you actually didn't. None of this was based on any sort of scientific principles. You just said science and modernity a lot and poured a lot of concrete and yeah, no, he's, he's perfect. And he was definitely, uh, you know, at least in his late life, um, pretty right wing. Uh, so, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's good to identify this, uh, this tendency, this sort of, you know, strain of thought, because I think it's what drives the sort of urge that states have to make CBDCs. You know, like in the book and in this conversation, I feel like I go after like the left a lot, you know, like progressives are going to introduce a CBDC and they're going to claim it's about solving climate change or whatever. And it's just to enslave you. And I do think that, but I don't think it's limited to, to that worldview at all. I think that it's, that it's something that runs through all sorts of, you know, political factions and it's this high modernism. It's this urge to make the world entirely visible, rational, and clean, you know, and control everybody's uh, actions. And what better way to do that than through the money? You can see what everyone's spending their money on, 
which is just a proxy for behavior. You can see what they're doing. And, uh, you know, if you can intervene, you can control them. It's perfect. This is the point in the interview where I was going to question you on, on Monero and, and try to understand uh, why you haven't already arrived at Monero. I know you mentioned it in your, in your book. You talk about it at the end, um, but it sounds like you've already made, made your way there because you, you obviously understand this stuff very well. You have the ability to, to think things through and predict how systems are going to inevitably be inevitably be taken advantage of by the powers that be. Um, and, you know, what always, what always comes to mind is, you know, Bitcoin itself, right? Uh, you, you kind of talk about Bitcoin as, as being the solution in your essay, right? Uh, you, you, you talk about the downsides as well. Um, but yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Is Bitcoin the solution or is there a, a potentially dystopian scenario there given its traceability? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of Bitcoin. I don't know if dystopian is the word I'd use, but you know, I mean, it's, I would say this is just frankly the weakest like part in my whole argument in the book is just, is me being like, look, we have the right to transact and crypto is this amazing technology that protects it. And you need to adopt crypto and you need to use it because it's got the right to transact built right into it. You know, it's permissionless, it's decentralized, it's great. And I leave it at that. It's permissionless, it's decentralized, it's great. But what it isn't, you know, except for things like Monero, is it's not private. And that's, is that enough? Probably not. You know, but I didn't want to, I don't know, I didn't want to pepper every, I didn't want to just be adding constant caveats about how like, oh, but actually it's not, well, it's really not good enough though. I don't know. There's no solution. I can't help you. I mean, I think, you know, I think you would, I'm sure you would argue that Monero is the solution. Uh, <laughs> I would admit. I hope. I hope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, but there's, there's, go ahead. Sorry. Oh yeah, no, I, the thing the thing that I say in the book, which um, yeah, you might be you might be sort of alluding to, uh, might object to, is um, the privacy coin stuff is hard. Not because I don't think that it's excellent um, as like a as like a goal, and like you know, I I want them to exist, and I want them to be perfect, and I want to use them, and I want to be able to use them all the time, like that big fan. It's that. I mean, it's one thing if you're just sort of a libertarian or an anarchist or a, you know, cypherpunk and you're just like, yeah, privacy, I'm going to stay private. Yeah. Fuck you government. You know, sorry, we can curse here, right? Sorry about that. <laughs> um, I mean, don't curse too much, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, you know, that's one thing because how high are the stakes really? Um, you know, if it turns out that it wasn't actually private. I mean, unless your government is really going to come after you, you know, it's okay. Um, and that's my situation, as far as I know. I don't think I don't think they're looking for me. Uh, but you know, if you really need that privacy, if you're not just sort of 
ideologically committed to it, but you're like a real dissident. You're someone who's really in danger uh, if they can find you, you know. How, you know, crypto is supposed to be trustless and I can trust that the permissionless stuff works with Bitcoin and Ethereum and stuff because if it didn't by now, I mean, by by now we would have seen, you know, censorship of transactions, like, like the permissionless bit works, you know. Uh, we know that Bitcoin and, and Ethereum aren't private. We think Monero is private. We know it's permissionless. We think it's private. Pretty confident. But the thing is, like, governments have played such an absurdly long game in the past when they've compromised something with privacy, you know? I mean, like, the biggest, like, vendor of, like, cryptographic hardware to, like, major governments and corporations worldwide for 50 years was literally just a CIA front. <laughs> they, were, they were listening to Israel, you know, negotiate with Egypt. They were listening to the Argentinian government, to, to Germany, to, I mean, like, for decades and getting paid millions of dollars for the privilege. And they kept it, they kept it a secret that long, you know? It's like, with, with, a, with a precedent like that, I just, how do you feel good about something i mean and uh, yeah i mean that's i guess that's my question for you it's just like like i'm ideologically committed to monero as a project and i want it to succeed so like yeah i'm sold i'm gonna start participating i'm into it but like how can i really like really trust that it does what it says on the tin mm -hmm. yeah i mean my answer would be it's a, it's the same as bitcoin in that regard you know it's it's, it's an open source protocol yeah. Um, the same same trust that you have to put into Bitcoin, you put it you put into Monero. It's just math and cryptography at the end of the day. Uh, just with the just maybe some additional cryptography that uh, obfuscates the ledger. Yeah. Uh, so you're 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 tr you're trusting in the math and the cryptography no matter what, whether it's Bitcoin or Monero. And I guess. My my response to your concern of, you know, do we want people to maybe f potentially falsely trust in some system that could eventually be unraveled? It's well, in the meantime, it's 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 the best we have, right? Uh, we, we know it works better than Bitcoin today for purposes of preventing, if nothing more, mass surveillance, right? Um, pinpointed targeted attacks where a state wants to go after you and try to figure out what transactions you're making with Monero uh yeah maybe maybe it's you know it's not maybe we, we shouldn't be saying it's 100% foolproof in instances like that but we know it's definitely better than bitcoin for purposes of preventing mass surveillance right it's not an open uh, perfectly transparent ledger that the state can can easily, very easily surveil. Uh, I guess would be my response to that. Yeah. Um, Look, that makes a lot yeah, of. Sense. In terms of trust, it's it's the same trust that you have in Bitcoin. Uh, just the the math is a little bit different. The crypto there's a there's a little bit more cryptography involved. 
um, but the same the same concepts, you know. Yeah, I just I don't know. I mean, like for the customers of of Crypto AG, this the CIA front, it almost would have been better for them if they had just talked in like completely open channels and known that rather than you know trusting a, a privacy protocol that was that was compromised and they didn't know it yeah but people people are using bitcoin in that way people are are thinking bitcoin is private right uh, and well, then they're then they're using tools that are built on top of bitcoin that they that are using that they think makes it more private I don't know how to help anyone who thinks Bitcoin is private. Still, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think the Lightning Network, is, you know, is pri- and it does it does have aspects of it, right? But so, yeah, what's the difference, right? I, I don't, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess maybe my model is off, but I, I just think that if if a state were able to compromise the the permissionless bit, if they were able to censor transactions. We would find out immediately. I don't know why I assume that, but I do. I think I think that, but I think they would sit on compromising the privacy bit and gather as much data as they could because I think they just want to kill Bitcoin and Monero. And if they could just, you know, if they could just censor transactions, they would just be like, "Whoa, boom!" You know, haha, <laughs> like it's over. But don't don't you think privacy? And I think I think you kind of mentioned this in your book, don't you think privacy ties into the censorship resistant aspect? I mean, so something that is private is more censorship resistant, right? If yeah. if I don't even know how much Bitcoin you have, or I can't even see it when you're sending it, and I don't know if you still have it or if you lost your keys, that effectively makes it more censorship resistant. Um, it, it's harder to do, arguably harder to do a, a $5 wrench attack mm-hmm. uh, a Monero, on, a, on a Monero user than a Bitcoin user because you don't really know how much they have or if they have their Monero or you know if they were just sent Monero, right? The privacy adds to the censorship resistance, I would argue. Yeah, and then this the second thing I would say is you know there's there's a lot of other factors. I don't you know, we go into the show uh, into all these things quite a bit on the show, but there's a lot more to Monero than its privacy, right? It's it's uh, mined differently than Bitcoin. It uses random X. So its mining is arguably uh, more decentralized given the fact that it's not mined by, you know, ASIC miners, lar- large companies that can be approached and have been approached by governments and regulators. Has it been, has it been censored? Well, we know there's OFAC compliant miners, right? That um are are willing to bend the knee to the state and not mine certain transactions now will other miners pick it up yeah so far i guess that that's happened we know that over 50% of the bitcoin mining pools are kyc compliant so all these things are are leading towards bitcoin perhaps maybe effectively being um, stopped in terms of being censorship resistant because of because yeah. of its attack surface, because of the way its mining network is structured, uh, and you have these large companies that can be approached because of its traceability, 
which allows for for blockchain analysis. These things are attack surfaces that you may not be able to stop somebody from pressing the button on their on their phone to send the Bitcoin transaction, but you might effectively post facto knock be able to knock on their door and say, "Hey, we know you had Bitcoin. We see we saw that you sent it, right?" We've seen people. We've seen Bitcoin get confiscated in very very large ways. Um, I argue it's one of the most confiscated assets of all, of all time in terms of the amount amount of it that's been taken away from people in, in one felt swoop, right? Billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin taking away from people by governments tracking and tracing, knowing that they have it and then approaching them and demanding that they give it to them. Yeah, no, I mean, I'd look, I don't disagree with any of that. Um, I mean, I think not having credible privacy definitely increases your attack service. It introduces so many centralization risks, censorship risks. Um, yeah. Hey, like I said, I'm a narrow pilled now. So, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I stand by my paranoia about the, the privacy guarantees. Um, there's just no way to know, you know, unless, unless you can somehow prove that it's perfect, which you can't, there's just no way to know if, like when it gets compromised, but yeah. And, and in the book, you know, I mentioned, you, you mentioned uh $5 wrench attacks, governments going after people. I mean, I mentioned in Venezuela, one of the few places where there's ever been sort of like massive retail crypto adoption at different times during their like deep financial crisis. Uh, yeah. The, the secret police went around and just, you know, threw people in and, you know, prisons and tortured them and took their Bitcoin like that. <laughs> they, they did that. So, uh, and to what, you know, why should they be unique? So I agree. Um, I guess, yeah, I think, I think part of me just, you know, to be totally honest, felt like I was already asking, uh, especially just sort of, you know, your average normal reader to, to follow me on a pretty long journey. And just take them past Bitcoin <laughs> and past Ethereum. Um, seemed like it might have been too much to ask, but no, I I get it, I get it, I get it. You know, when I, when I talk to people on the daily basis that aren't into crypto already, to to get them to the Monero point, it's like first you got to get them to first you got to get them to Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Um, and then you could start talking more abstractly as to why something like Monero is essential as well. Um, but I understand your concerns and they're, they're, they're very valid, but yeah, I mean, I, I know it's, it's not the, it's not the best answer, but I think it's the most accurate answer, right? If you're, if you're concerned about Monero, you should be equally concerned about Bitcoin, perhaps in a different way, right? Ellip elliptic curve cryptography, right? Um, yeah. We rely on it. We, you know, there's mathematicians telling us that, that this stuff works and it can't be unraveled. But we also know that once a quantum computer, a large enough quantum computer exists, that it can very easily be unraveled and public keys can easily be, private keys can easily be extracted from public keys, right? Um, so do we know when that's going to happen? Do we know if somebody's going to get to that before somebody else? 
Um, so th those concerns uh, exist in Bitcoin as well in, in different ways. Oh, my wallet just got drained. Oh, looks like it's <laughs> no, <laughs> oh, it's happening. Oh man, uh, I'm kidding, kidding everybody. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you're not wrong. Is is Monero's cryptography post quantum? No. Okay. Oh, I thought. Okay, I thought. I thought that's that's what you were saying for a second. I was like, oh, look at that. No, 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 no. I'm just saying. You know, there's these are things that that Bitcoin are are exposed to as well, right? Uh, yeah, this, this doubt, right? That this idea that you're trusting the system. Um, but it's 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 a different it's a different type of it's a different type of trust. There's different design decisions that were that were made in each. But this was uh this was fantastic combo, man. Um, and I, I do I, I really did enjoy your book, mostly because I it you just brought in you brought in so much information into it, all these things that I had followed throughout my time in crypto, and you you compiled it. Um, so I, I definitely recommend it to people that are out there listening to this to go check check out the book, give it a, give it a good read, and it will. Awesome. It will remind you as why why crypto is important, why we need the you know why the right to transact is vital. Yeah. What um yeah what is the easiest way for people to get book? Yeah, I guess just Amazon, right? Right to transact. Yeah, Amazon would be easiest. Um, you know, look, hey, if you're uh if you just operate purely in Monero, your whole life is in Monero. Um. You know, hit me up, uh, Zelinar X Y Z E L I N A R X Y at proton.me. Um, we we can work something out. I'll I'll get you a copy. Uh, oh, I wish you would have done that to me, man. I was, there I am. I'm, I'm cursing myself on Amazon. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> just send you some Venera. Uh, it just occurred to me in the past like eight seconds. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Amazon is, is probably the most convenient, but um, hey, I mean, I don't know. Uh, love to love to hear from y'all either way. Uh, actually, actually, a, th a thought I had: we're going to be launching hopefully soon XMR Bazaar, which is going to be a peer-to-peer -peer Monero-based marketplace. Yeah, and one of the features we're going to have on there is you know instant digital downloads. Uh, maybe I'll hit you up. It'd be cool if you can post the book there maybe in pdf yeah. form and people can you know whatever pay 10 20 worth of monero and be able to instantly download that sounds great uh very cool man thank you so much x x x z x y i'm sorry z x y is there anything else you want to put out there when you have the oh, stage or? i think we covered it all um what am i gonna what am i forgetting what am i gonna regret now we that's no, this was great. Thank you so much. Places where people can find you. So they know where to find the book, but how about like follow you and sure. More? Um, yeah. So, uh, Zelinar com, And I am pulling it up right now to check that it's not down the second before I, yeah. Z E L I N A R X Y.com. Um, you can find just, uh, not much there, but it's just that's links to you know where I don't know to the book to Twitter. Um, I have a Substack. I don't really uh don't really do much with, but yeah, that's that's where links are. So I would say go there. What is your Twitter? 
Um, yeah, so my Twitter has a different uh, has a different um, handle. Uh, I got I got rubbed by Twitter and had to had to fall back to an alt. So um, it's uh, Foca Ballena. F O C A B A L L E N A is the uh, is the username. Um, but if you if you search ZXY, uh, hopefully I'll hopefully I'll come up. Uh, it'll be this profile picture. I don't know. Maybe I'm shadow banned. All right, buddy. Yeah, maybe uh, you could send me some of these links and we could put them in the show notes. Oh, good. That's probably easier. Let's do that. All right. All right, man. Please, please stay in touch. Uh, let me let me know if there's any any new info you ever want to put out here on the on the Monero Talk channel. Yeah. Definitely uh, interested in your work. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, you know, second edition where I where I'm more Monero pilled and and I just talk about Monero purely and just <laughs> get past the Bitcoin and Ethereum. That's maybe we can talk about that. I look forward to reading that one. All right, man. Cheers. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Later. Later. Hi, Monero Land. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to our show on YouTube, Odyssey, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Go to MoneroTalk.live for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. MoneroTalk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever by typing in MoneroTalk.crypto in your Monero.com or CakeWallet send address field to send us a tip. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to being back next week.